Pro Detailer Podcast. Today we have another celebrity guest uh, in the shape of Mr. Andrew Mooring. Hello. Hello. I've never been called a celebrity before, but I'll take it. <laughs> in this company, everybody's a celebrity. <laughs> uh, we also have Mr. Ian of Seeley. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about all things detailing, supply, distribution, channels, products, uh, industry trends, marketing trends, all sorts of things. Stuff we should probably talk about normally anyway, really. Yeah, but we're going to be using longer words. Oh, very much. I know, I know, I know. Um, so, uh, Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, first of all, Andrew Moran, Marketing Director for Morelli Group, um, which owns Slim's Detailing. Gotcha. And Slim's Detailing, well, uh, Morelli Group is a family-run uh, business. Yeah, very much a family-run business. Uh, seven uh, directors, five of which are still family members. Um Three cousins, <laughs> brother, um, so, and, and an auntie. Um, so, yeah, very much family run. So, and your third generation, so your grandfather yep. started it. Yeah, my grandfather is where the Slim comes from. His name was Chaloner, um, and he was a very skinny man, mm-hmm. and everybody called him Slim. Oh, I see. And, and whereabouts did you start up? Uh, the first business for Morelli Group was in Southgate. Um, and then Southgate from there it spread to Chelmsford, to Ilford, to Uxbridge. It was all local areas where it just mm-hmm. got very busy and they just put another branch in. And he started the business because he was in like the body shop trade or the, or the coach building trade, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, was he was a coach builder. So um, he came from uh, Harold Radford's coach builders, then set up his own body shop as such. In those mm-hmm. days, panel beating, you know, you didn't buy panels, you, you repaired the vehicle. Yep. So um, yeah. that was his. Doesn't his, work with plastic these days. No, the plastics <laughs> tend to be bolted on, bolted <laughs> off. Um, but um, in those days, um, yeah, he had a he had a body shop, mm-hmm. um, background of panel beating, um, but the service was terrible, so he couldn't get the paint. So he thought, I can do better than this. Set up his own business, and very much on having full stocks. Mm-hmm. And um, his motto in the early days was, "Your stock is at the end of your telephone," and we kind of still use that today. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more at the end of your PC now. Yes. Or the end of your phone and it was so it's all about distributing effectively car body shop products yeah to- yeah paint paint was the primary um product yeah um the consumers that go with that and the equipment like the spray guns and you know panel beating tools and things like that um and in those days he, he took on 3m Mm-hmm. You poll of brands that he would have had right through, and um, we're in our 65th year next year. Yeah, so you started in 57? Yep, 1957, correct. And um, you say brands like 3M and you poll, would that have been kind of later? Is that 70s or 80s or is that no, more No, well, we, we were trying to identify whether we could um, see what brands had been right through. Um, and Valentine was the main paint brand, which isn't in existence as such nowadays, although there's still some sign of it in Europe. Um, but certainly 3M and you poll and De Vilbis was the other the equipment manufacturer, as in spray guns, um, that we reckon probably have been with us from, the from day one. Yeah. 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 And so cycle forward to, when are we talking now? First, the creation of Slims was uh, 2014? Yeah, about then. About 24, about seven seven years ago now. Yeah. 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 And I mean, in, in kind of a brief explanation being that you had a um, customer of yours, which was a, a, a reselling and that went down and they basically you got a lot of stock back from them and yeah they were they were buying 3m and Maguire's from us uh, which were two brands that we had um, Maguire's were trying to push into the uk market with ourselves they already had a presence obviously um, but they were trying to get us to sell more product in the uk through 3m after mm-hmm. 3m took them over um, and part of that was we took on this distributor as such who was selling the product um, the business went sour as such and um, we were left with 
you know, a slight debt <laughs> and some product that we didn't want anymore. And we, we looked at eBay and thought, let's just put it on eBay. Yeah. Um, but then we thought, well, look, this is something car related. Mm-hmm. They're selling products that we've got in stock. Um, let's have a little look at the business, uh, which we did at the time with a, uh, my colleague, Matt Laybourne at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so give him a credit for, for where credit yes. is due. It's certainly an idea of his. Yeah, Matt, in fact, uh, I was thinking the name, reason it reminded me is he wrote a smart repair article for issue two i think okay. potentially way back when okay potentially yeah, yeah definitely probably gave it to me to write and then claimed the credit <laughs> no, <man. laughs> yeah so. yeah those days and then um so one thing later another now in the naming of slims obviously it's it's named after your grandfather yep um but there were a couple other names on on the table weren't there when you yeah, were thinking about it we were kicking names around matt and i in the early days and um i thought i'd absolutely nailed it when i came uh, well Basically, we were looking at the gas monkey garage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking of something Simeon was where, I, where my mind was going. And uh, I thought I'd nailed it with Chimp My Ride. Um, yeah. It didn't quite work, as you can see. You know what? I think <laughs> I think you probably made the right decision ultimately. <laughs> yeah, Matt came up with Slim's Detailing Emporium and we dropped the Emporium and uh, it is what it is and now. And voila. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, simple enough. And you've got a real style. It's kind of very much a, a kind of a, on the one hand, you've got Morelli, which is known for distribution and being a you know professional, big organized company on the flip side you've got slims as a look which is obviously it's b2c rather than b2b which i suppose is a big distinction yeah yeah we wanted a lifestyle brand with it we looked at other people that were doing well in the industry as such um and it was all very clean and very white and um we just felt that there was a as i say the gas monkey garage and that sort of uh, business Mm. we were looking at at the time just saying you know what great brands and how they built their brand um and slims was something we wanted as a lifestyle company and you can see that even now whereas if you look at your um um, portfolio on the website most companies have all the bottles cut out in white space because that's yep, how you absolutely. get it from the manufacturer yep. or if you're taking your yep. own photos but yours are in and I, I don't think apple crates were necessarily your invention i think auto finesse might no might i think get definitely i'd have to give auto finesse a bit of credit you know yeah. we, we did some videos in the very early days with those guys um and it was a brand that was important um to us early on um and still a brand that we sell now um and you have to say those guys have done a great job mm-hmm. um and uh, there was certainly some inspiration of what they they'd done um i had an old wooden workbench at home mm-hmm. um teamed up with an old fence panel that was in a pile of rubbish <laughs> in the back garden and uh hence our um background your, your backdrop, yeah. our backdrop was fit, uh, set up which uh, unless i'm mistaken is still still what you use Absolutely, now yeah, yeah yeah generally we use that now um there was a plan you know we've got some old cars in the the, the business mm-hmm. or in the family should i say you can't call them that anymore no yeah. not that <laughs> no. some old cars and um my uncle has got an amazing garage and full of some really nice old cars and started to look at that using those as a backdrop but those things come and go you know so and yeah. um, we thought we need to just set something that's just the way way of the world and that's uh, familiar that's yeah consistent exactly. yeah there was a consistency to it exactly. and it's hard to steal now when we're hunting for artwork and stuff like that we see you know we'll see pictures like well, you didn't take that photo you do find people taking the pictures and obviously we do value them and, and, mm. and protect them where we can yeah quite rightly quite yeah. rightly um so we then you when you started what brands did you kind of kick off with um early days was very much um ultra finesse maguire's 3m um dodo um mm-hmm. auto um valet um car pro um and and brands like that that were, were 
you know, just central to what was going on with the other business that we were um, taking on. Um, Kosh Kemi came in as well from Reap mm-hmm. um, and um, Swissfax as well was an important brand oh, for see. us at the time. So were, we were you distributing that. Swissfax or is that uh, reselling? Through Reap. Through yeah. Reap. So Reap were bringing it in at that point and we um, decided that it was really important to have a, a high-end brand like that yeah. as well in, within the, and G-Technic as well. It makes your shop smell nice too. Yeah. 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 When <laughs> I say Auto Valley, Valley Pro. So Valley Pro. I was, yeah. I was, I was yeah. sitting there thinking I'm embarrassed. Here so was I. I, I was thinking Valley's. I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and most recently, of course, and this leads on to our, our, our one of the big topics that we want to want to hit because it extends yeah. from what we're talking about in the magazine. Uh, you took on CarPro. Yep. And CarPro is primarily made in South Korea. Correct. Yep. Um, and because I interviewed Craig, who you yep. took it on from Absolutely, or partially yep. on from. Craig was very kind to say that he identified us as being um, good distributors for the, the product mm-hmm. when he was deciding that he wanted to quit. Well, Craig is, I have to admit, I mean, we've, we've worked briefly with the magazine with Arvi, who's a, of the owner of it, who's yep. in Cyprus. Cyprus. Yep. Cyprus. Um, and uh, obviously there's Gordon Muir, who's... Um, you know, worked very closely with the brand as well for a long yep. time. Um, but Craig was brilliant. I mean, both in terms of supporting PVD members directly and in terms of the provision of it is yep. that we've, we've, in fact, we keep Craig on the group, even though he's no longer technically, you know, working in our industry anymore because, because yeah. he's so helpful. Um, so it's great to see that going across. Yeah. However, at the more or less the same moment that you decided to, or you took on car pro, uh, we had lovely Brexit. Yep. So that was fun. And, uh, we've had a bit of a, <coughs> <laughs> nice bit of a, cough you got there. Bit of a pandemic going on there. Is that insensitive? Probably is. Probably I'll, I'll retract the cough formally. Um, and um, the combination of that has made life very difficult for you. Yeah, I would definitely say don't try and take on a brand during uh, a pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. it it's the old sense. saying. Yeah, the old saying, yeah, yeah. yeah, just slip. That's what I was told when I was young. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's been a really tough time to take on CarPro because we're one thing that we've um, pride ourselves on is stock and stock holding, Um, and you have to kind of uh, appreciate that March twenty twenty, we probably took it on on April May twenty twenty was really um, not great timing for us, Mm. Um, and a combination of things. You obviously uh, the business just went rocketed in terms uh, of lots of people at home trying to pandemic, touch cars furlough yeah. money in pocket what mm-hmm. am i going to do car on the drive they were cleaning their car they were cleaning their dad's car they were yeah. cleaning their brother's car, their building decking. car. I, I nearly got roped into building decking yeah. as a consequence and, yeah. and i managed to avoid it for a whole year yeah well you did very well to avoid that yeah. I, I mean I you got out of building it anyway because you got someone else to do it yeah in the end that was, <laughs> so that that was doesn't say, really right. count just putting the lights <laughs> in at the end <laughs> i think i saw some decking out there so it's definitely been done yeah 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 no it's it's present correct i did build a dog crate like a massive great big dog kennel thing which is a bit creaky um but that's a completely irrelevant to our conversation um so you had a huge boom in demand for all demand obviously a big draw on the product um world fleets you know everybody decided that there's going to be a massive recession with the Mm -hmm. um, pandemics uh production lines were were cut i think some shipping was mothballed you know put to one side and uh, obviously then when everybody didn't go into a massive uh, depression and uh, recession. Um, <laughs> I, I suddenly, the, the demand was there again, you know. And you're, it's you're, like throwing the grenade and then looking up after yeah. about five seconds thinking, was that a 10 second fuse? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It was just uh, mental. It just went, the business boomed. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden from getting product over in eight weeks, we were looking at 16 weeks to get mm. the product over. Um, and it wasn't something that, like took six months to get to it happened overnight yeah um so all of a sudden we're well first stock order you know it's on the sea it's on the sea you know but we're running out of this we haven't got that and the way we we work is we really want to make that right so we started arranging air freight 
Um, uh, but of course, there's less air freight because a lot what people don't realise when they're getting on their jets to go on holiday, underneath them, any spare yeah. space is used by the likes of Royal Mail and the rest to, to transfer goods around. And Absolutely. Yes. And, and you don't start shipping four litre containers on air freight either. No. Um, so the smaller products were coming on air freight just to keep us so we had stocks. Can you air freight ceramic coatings? Because they're quite volatile. You can air freight certain products and obviously we air freighted what we could. Mm-hmm. Um, Several just, thousand litres of tar and glue removers probably not going to go down too well. <laughs> you think of the weight of the product. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not good. Um, and With the explosion at the end, though. Pressure, yeah. <laughs> pressurised situations as well. True. And that's not just on us trying to get the stock. That's on the cans <laughs> that are in the, in the air, airline. Um, yes, yeah, so, you know, and we had lots of air freight orders come over and, and you just don't make any money on products air freighted. Oh. Having said that, the sea is trying to catch up with the price of air freight at the moment. Yeah, so. they're doing a good job, though. But yeah. you're saying how much, say, before pandemic? Right, OK, before pandemic, we put a container on the ocean uh, anywhere between one and £2,000. From where to where? From the Far East. So it could be China, could be Taiwan, could mm-hmm. be Korea. So if you had a full container coming over, 40-foot container, anywhere between one and £2,000. Um, our current most recent container that spent 10 weeks in dock, oh, sorry, eight to 10 weeks in dock before we could get it on a boat has cost us £21,000. And inside a container, roughly, what's the value think of Think of goods? a 40-foot container and think what you can get in there because they've got software programs and they will pack it right to the roof. Yeah. So you get it pretty full. Well, if it was full of like top-end C-Courts Pro, 5.0 yeah, or whatever so, you know, we're we at now. put a whole container of that on the water. <laughs> um, so that would generally be a pallet that's coming across or several pallets coming across from um, mm-hmm. CarPro. So they would go into a container with something else. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But our um, other business, Morelli, we will fill a container with panel stands, trestles for the body shop side of the yeah. business. But um, so And slim stalls and slim Z creepers and other things that we brand. I thought they were hewn by Englishmen in no, great old English towns. <laughs> uh, we haven't found an English company that will make them for the money yet, but, but with the container prices going up, who yeah. knows? Well, uh, the reason I was asking about the total value of a container is, uh, you know, £21,000 is a bit, it's a sort of a lot of money. Yes. But if you've got £5 million for the products in there, it's still so exactly i wonder how much value a product depends what you're bringing over i mean we deal with sealy who are a big tool company i deal with sealy too he's a (laughs) different sealy um and you think so (laughs) i I might be that one (laughs) (laughs) and they're very much looking at the literally as product lands now pricing it so um whereas normally they might have had one price increase a year um, as the product lands, they price up what's in the product, sorry, what's in the container um, and what it's cost to bring it across. And that's how much that product's going to cost. Well, today, uh, it's been on the news. So it's, I don't want to sort of date things too topically, but the, there was a big cable over to France that's gone snap. And so we've got less electricity and wholesale prices have been flying through the woods. I just, half of me is thinking every time you put your kettle on, it's going to say, you know, this is this cup of tea is going to cost you four pounds. Do you yeah. say yes or no? Well, have you got a smart meter? Just swipe might card do first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do have a smart meter. It's terrifying. Now every day it says we use eight quid's worth of electricity. Yeah. Horrendous! And yeah. it's just the everything is just a knock-on effect, you know. And, and Brexit, as you say, had a, had an effect as well. Um, yeah. There's less lorry drivers, so again, the product sits wherever it sits, you know. And I was saying earlier on about the car pro container that the customs decided to have yeah. an inspection on. I guess it's just a routine thing. It's um, probably Brexit because in the old days they weren't having to check stuff. Well, we never had Europe. anything checked before Brexit. Put it that way. So, yeah. Um, they well, do for, know- the, for the sake of the podcast, go through that story again because yeah. it's quite incredible how how much a, a bit of bureaucracy can, can cost you. Okay, yeah. so they decide that they're going to check this container because it's coming from South Korea, and I guess... Which is part wanna... of Europe, isn't it, I'm sure. Oh, I yeah, could understand yeah. North Korea checking it. 
Yeah, so they, the they then put that into storage in the docks because customs obviously are busy. Yeah, um, they so they'll, then they'll charge you for that. They'll charge us yeah. rates for keeping it stored at the docks. Um, and they eventually get round to moving it to Milton Keynes where they're going to inspect it, invite us to come and watch it be inspected. Do they do that just for fear of it having illegal immigrants and they think if they open the doors of Milton Keynes, they'll <laughs> I stay in I think the there. eight weeks it was in dock, I think it was about six, eight weeks in dock before it got moved, probably would have paid to the uh, put paid to the immigrants <laughs> if there had been any. Well, yes, I can see yeah. that, yeah. Um, so then they inspect it in Milton Keynes and then they move it back to the dock rather than deliver it to Birmingham where it was going. Um, and eventually we get it, um, you know, and by that time, yeah, two, three orders that are coming behind that have started landing. So you're, you're in a period of no product. So do you have to prioritise customers? If somebody's ordered a bottle of X and a bottle of X was on the first one and a bottle of X is also on the second one, do well, you say to the we've customer? we've always put product out of stock if it's out of stock mm -hmm. so um, the website won't um, generally sell product that's not in stock mm -hmm. so you just look bad because you've got nothing in stock yeah. so even if it's only on the docks about 200 miles away it's in the country it doesn't mean it's yeah. in stock yeah so i suppose with uh, and because obviously you as a distributor for various brands but at, yep. uh, you sell you do b2b to resellers so yep. if somebody uh, another reseller wants kochami for example in the uk they mm -hmm. need to order it through yep, you absolutely um how does that i imagine that on you, you know, because then there's a delay getting to you. There'll be therefore a delay getting to them. Therefore a delay that. It's, I mean, the the follow-on cost must be massive. Yeah, um, I mean, we would try and communicate with the uh, uh, resellers and mm -hmm. let them know what the situation is. When we have product coming in, we'd let them know. You know, get your order in because we're going to be in good stock situation. Um, obviously, um, some some take it well, some don't take it well. You know, and it's very difficult moving stocks around as well. You know, even. Um, going across even the UK waters, if you like, um, mm -hmm. which we do to some resellers, is very very difficult as well at the yeah. moment. So it's a it's a different or a difficult scenario for a lot of product um, when you're moving containers and pallets. It's it's certainly ch a changing industry at the moment. Yes, and yeah, as you're saying, internal shipping. I can yeah. imagine is, I mean, as you were saying, we've got a big DPD depot here and now yeah. every other vehicle seems to be a DPD van, yeah. which is, it's, it's yeah, quite... The van's going through the roof because everybody's suddenly becoming a, a DPD driver. Which I would normally moan about if it wasn't for the fact I paid £600 just before lockdown for a 220,000 mile 1999 Renault Master, which is now worth twice as much despite not having an MOT, which is brilliant. Yeah. I've just got to get bodies out of it before I sell it because apparently that brings the value down. That will bring the value down, yeah. but it's yeah. not as much the Subaru parts, isn't it? No. <laughs> Secondhand value is a vehicle are going crazy as well because yeah. of microchips I can't get them as well I guess you may have covered that in other podcasts but I guess it's not necessarily about detailing but your second hand vehicle just get it checked you say that yeah I, mean, I, I was going to take the old Subaru Forester next to the Porsche dealership and those people who can't get hold of a Macan I'm like look I'll do this for half the price of a new Macan you know <laughs> yeah, so far it hasn't worked and only <laughs> one restraining order um so, yeah, that is, and, and you were writing, you know, you gave us a, a lovely comment about how all this has challenged you in the magazine. Uh, and we wrote, it's this sort of perfect storm, isn't it? It's Brexit. I mean, the Suez Canal, of course, that didn't help the getting Suez clogged up. The Suez Canal blocked up everybody and they were queuing up behind it. Yeah, you know? yeah so that slowed things down. Um, lorry drivers in the UK can't get enough lorry drivers, so therefore the containers are landing and they're sitting in the ports. Yeah. I'm told there's PPE in ports which has been stored by government, as in, in containers. So those yeah. containers are just sitting there with PPE in them so therefore the docks have got no space to unload things and you know it's yeah. just i don't know how many stories i'm told and which ones are true now it's got to that point it's it is pretty serious and one thing is uh, you know if you listen to the news and stuff everybody says oh it's going to get better it's going to get better well today inflation was announced at three percent yeah 3 if you're watching yeah if, if you're listening to the repeat 5.5 .5, and uh, if you're <laughs> listening to the second repeat if basically, this one dave yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we've gone a bit. Um, it's not called Rhodesia anymore. Where is where, where is Rhodesia? Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, because yeah. at not, one point not for quite a few years. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't think you were alive when it was Rhodesia. That's a bit I of a historic was. fact check, isn't it? There. It was. Well, even so, they had like a, a billion million Rhodesian or, or Zimbabwean dollars, whatever, was worth about fifty p at one point. I think you know, I was alive inflation. when that was all happening, but I can't remember. It, I have to say. Yeah. Well, I can't remember yesterday. So you know. yeah, I remember when Turkish pounds was sixty four thousand to the pound or something like that. Yeah. That was that was when I went over there when I was like an eighteen thirties thing, so quite yeah. a long time ago. I just remember ten francs the pound. Okay, um, one francs a bag. A lot of beer for your money yeah. or a lot of money for your beer. <laughs> cool. It's the racky races. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in terms of the brands, obviously we talked about CarPro. Yep. And what's interesting, I mean, obviously you've also got Malco Presta, you've got non-exclusive on 3M slash Megs because that comes in also through Daventry, doesn't it, with Megs UK? Megs absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and they obviously distribute it around the UK to other distributors as well. So. And they seem to look more at the kind of the health, I'm guessing yeah, they cater for Halfords and the likes of that. That was interestingly when lockdown one happened, um, there was a massive boom in our Maguires and our mm. Autoglim sales, which are products are obviously very much available in Halfords. So um, that was an interesting thing to see, obviously, how that, that <laughs> did change. But And obviously other brands did very, very well during that period as well. But you, you notice things like that. What does your smug face look like? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have Halfords shut any time. <laughs> um, so and, uh, there's uh, Vonix as well? Yeah, Vonix one? is um, a bit of a niche one, really, in mm-hmm. the UK for us. Um, they, they had a good story behind the Carnuba wax mm. and their own forests and everything else that went with it. And it was just an interesting brand. So um, for the last wax stock as well, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And yeah. that's where our first conversation started. That's where you met them, really. Right? Yeah, absolutely. About, I think two, three years ago, somebody from Phonics came over and she was going up and down trying to find resellers. And what happened was... That was about five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah, because it was just after we did the, the article. last wax stock was three years ago. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah, God, it was five years ago. Yeah. 2020 doesn't count. And Well, I felt really bad because I'd <laughs> said, look, these are the big resellers. And um, I think she tried to get in contact with all of them and booked appointments. And I think she got three appointments and she came all the way over from Brazil. I know. Um, and it's for what? Travelling with those big fruit hats on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to prison. Um, and um, anyway, almost everybody had cancelled on her. And so she made this huge trip. And she was only young sort of thing. And so I was like, okay, right, well, we'll go. And we sort of talked about it. And she showed me all these brochures and stuff like this about how they're growing all this stuff. I thought, this is really cool. Thought nothing of it. And then about, I guess, a couple of years after that, I saw they got a US side and then that was exploding. I think it was Seymour or something. Mm. Suddenly the huge presence. And I was like, wow, this little, you know, relatively small company. And, you know, Malco Presta is also Brazil. Okay. Is it Brazil? No, they're American. <laughs> Are they? Yes. I yeah. always thought, oh, it's because Billy Martinez is from South America, I think. Yes. That's why I thought they were South American. Okay. Yes, he was. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, yeah Billy. Yeah, he came over the first time they He's demonstrated to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. massive, great, big um, yeah. wool pads about the size yeah, of the car. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He loved was, the wool pad and uh, he loved cigars. Oh, no, um, pipes as well, if you got to know him that oh. one. Into, into vintage pipes, yeah. I didn't know that. No, I was just concerned with the size of wool things. At one point, the machine would stay still and the car would start spinning. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they're... Brazilian, and they've, they've kind of gone for it. And then, lo and behold, I say it, Slims, you guys are taking it on. Have, have you got sole distributorship for them? Malco Presto or Vonix? Vonix? Vonix. No, I think there's other people in the UK who do take it. it on. But um, our main sole distributor um, products are Malco Presta, Koshkemi, and Carpro. So they're the three. And with Malco, because they're big on, because um, they're actually two separate organisations, Malco and Presta, they're kind of different they're ranges, aren't the they? are one the same company. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just a different branding. Because they're quite product. body shoppy, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they've got... 
hygiene and all sorts. They're a really okay. big company in, in America. And again, that's another thing we've had massive issues with, um, getting product from them. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, same sort of lockdown scenarios going on over there that we did. Um, but they've had real trouble getting staff back because their furlough scheme paid better than actually being at work. Really? Um, so in they, Yeah, I know. It seems crazy. But um, they had real trouble getting people to come back in and, and work because they were getting covered so well yeah. within the system they came Plus up Plus they had the big one-off checks out at I think twice. That was it, yeah. Trump gave out a couple of checks, didn't they? Was that in Trumpy Trumpy time or yeah. was that in Biden time? It was oh. Trump. Yeah, so again, suddenly you're placing an order for a product and it's taking them months to get it up as opposed to um, a couple of weeks and get it on a container. So, mm. yeah, interesting. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, you mentioned Koch. So mm-hmm. you bought, you, you you took the rights to that from yeah, Reap, Reap, wasn't it? it? Yeah. What, what attracted you to Koch? Um, everyone, everyone knows Koch probably from H8 is their, their biggest yeah. detailing related known product to the world. Yeah, but they I do a fantastic was, range of stuff yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a very interesting company for us I mean our um, aim now is only to take products on and, and really no aim to take any more on should I say out loud now um, <laughs> so don't email really, me <laughs> our aim is to sell from people that you know, research and develop their own products, manufacture their own products. Um, we could take on something being bottled every day of the week if you wanted to. There's always somebody mm-hmm. offering you something, you know, they're, they're bottling. Beautiful packaging, but doesn't necessarily mean it's great in the package. Um, and Kosh Kemi and CarPro certainly fit that very well. They develop their own products. Mm-hmm. They... Um, and they and they feel kind of slightly different parts of the market, if you like. Um, Kosh has got a real synergy with our body shop side. Mm-hmm. Um, so volume wash... Um, larger containers um, we've got uh, D-fleet ve- uh, companies we've got um, vehicle second-hand car sellers using the product doing a proper proper volume wash on a, on a car um, using that product and finishing off with you know one of the, the products that will leave a nice hydrophobic coating on it yeah heart um, wax is one that I was um, sent protector originally. wax is the, the is product the, yeah the yeah. spray on spray it's like a, it goes on like a snow foam washes off and leaves a nice nice coating so see I have the original bottles when they first came to the UK okay. with the group and they're all in German still okay. and so it's fun to see it heart wash like yeah. that flacken was exactly it's brilliant I have no idea but they all taste yeah. different and that's uh, important uh, yes yeah, so, well well, we have actually had, you say that, we went to a, um, a Tesla day, open day with one of our body shops mm-hmm. and um, we were there talking about some products there, saying this is pH neutral and this guy, um, he was a bit like Basil Fawlty and we've always been told the Tesla owners are a little bit strange. And um, no, <laughs> You're, You turned up in a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, I did. You I'm can sorry. say that. Yeah. <laughs> he unscrews the cap. He dips his finger in it and licks it. And it was FSE, which is a detailer. Oh, well, that has a particular taste to it, though, because it's got anti, it's um, alkaline. No, it's acidic, isn't it? You're welcome to taste it. I'm not tasting any product. Oh, no, I have. I taste it. I've got a special (laughs) tasting straw. It's fine. Okay. So let's have a break and we'll go and taste the full range. And when we come back, we'll give you our (laughs) feedback. Awesome. Hello, everybody. Just a quick note to say issue 13 is now out. It is 164 pages. And we've got interviews with Jim White. We've got a awesome colour matching guide with Kelly Harris. We've got the mega test on glass and so much more. Grab your copy at prodetailermagazine.com. And welcome back to the Pro Detailer 
podcast. Uh, we have got Mr. Andrew of Mooring in today from Slims, and we've been having a fascinating conversation about supply chains and stuff like that, which uh, basically explaining why perhaps it's been more difficult to get hold of the products you want, or indeed prices have gone up and stuff like that. We've got a lot of suppliers increasing prices. But now we're going to turn more to the professional side of things and talk about the changing world of new car protection slash detailing in car dealers' uh, bit, new car dealerships or used car dealerships. Yep. And so just to give you a bit of backdrop, we, a couple of issues ago, well, actually, how many issues ago? When, when we did our NCP test? Oh, that was, was that 10? Nine or ten. Nine or ten. Nine or ten. We did a new couple. Well, the alphas that, that yeah. decided not to show up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, we actually, we used the new car protection products from the likes of Superguard, Diamond Bright, that sort of thing. And uh, we applied them properly. We took the time to decon the car. And we actually found them pretty good, to be honest. There was nothing wrong with them. Amazingly, yeah. they, they all work. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, we've got professional detailers and home users around the country who have paid an awful lot of money for these products to supposedly apply to their car. And for whatever reason, uh, the end results aren't great. And most of that is not the manufacturer and it's not the customer. So just figure out the person in the middle. And as a result, independent detailers have always stood proud and above the kind of dealership valetor detailer because the quality of work, really. Yep. Um, and actually, relatively speaking, value because new car dealerships will be charging five, six hundred quid for not applying something. Whereas you get uh, professional detailers at that sort of money, you can get a really good coating on your car and probably a single stage polish as well. However, um, dealerships, I mean, car sales has always been competitive. And so money's always at a premium and profit points are what they want. And uh, historically over the last, I guess, 20 years, it's been payment plans and finance yeah, and stuff absolutely. like that. Upselling is a, a massive part of the industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I wish um, we had a tiny violin soundtrack on here for all, for all the dealers struggling out there. Yes. I, can, I got this. No, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. No. Um, and uh, they've obviously made money on the new car protections, but customers are being more discerning. They want the, you know, the ceramic coatings. They yep. want all this kind of high-end stuff. And de dealers are realising that they need to essentially up their game. And, and from what I've heard, some of the higher-end car dealership groups have started putting in detailing studios and employing detailers, yep. not just... Yeah, we've seen it ourselves, certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, we, without mentioning any dealership names, we do deal with some of the high-end uh, dealerships, um, and they have been having conversations with us about um, detailing and um, coatings, mm -hmm. um, and there's certainly... Um, they, they have ways to market at the moment, um, and they're looking at other ways to market um, without saying too much, um, because there's very little I can say at the moment, because there's very little I've decided. <laughs> um, I think the point is that um, all dealerships dealerships or uh, motor manufacturers can see that the, the internal combustion engine is having a, um, a, its last swan song, if you like. Not um, here, not here. No, no, There'll be not a flat six here until the day I die. <laughs> okay, well, you're still here. Mostly out of the car. Yeah, we're, we're talking about next Tuesday anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're having to look for other re revenue streams and there's no doubt about that um, smart repair has become one of them, you know, looking mm -hmm. after the, the vehicles and having small and very immediate body shops on site. Um, to repair vehicles and turn them around quickly without having somebody come in in a van, which, again, going back 10, 15 years ago, they probably had an old transit van turn up and mm -hmm. there'd be a guy in the back of the car park with a tent over him doing a small repair on 100 grand Bentley, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, well, in the States, it's in the States, your yeah. typical car dealership will have a body shop.
shop attached yeah. to it. Yeah, um, and I would say um, a large percentage of them in the UK now do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, it's getting more back to where it was. It, it used to be that the you know the body shop had a uh, uh, sorry the dealership had a body shop mm-hmm. um, and that kind of had gone away because there was money in servicing, there was money in sales, there was, mm-hmm. and the space was very important yes. and body shop was always seen as the dirty cousin if you like um, <laughs> We've all got a dirty cousin <laughs> I'm going to let that comment go um, and let uh, the mental image go <laughs> and, um, Terence if you're listening <laughs> Sorry, and much more so now body shops as in a small smart repair, maybe two or three guys working in Side that did the dealership, um, mm-hmm. whether it's doing wheel refurb, um, one panel, two panel of the vehicle, um, repairing a bumper, um, it's much more the thing. Um, and that's the same with detailing at the moment. I think a lot of it's outsourced um, and they have somebody that does it for them, whereas uh, there's no doubt that they are looking at any revenue stream that they can going forward, mm-hmm. I think. I, I do wonder if, if that's kind of been accelerated by the last year and a half because so so many of the the, the detailing uh, the uh, independent detailers that these dealers have used uh, have had to you know shut up for um, six twelve months or whatever for furlough for. Yeah, but I don't think mm. they could have made that change during that period because they were shut as well, in theory. Um, well, look, the car dealerships, they, they were deemed essential at one point and no, they, uh, were, not, they were allowed to open after, after the first one. Okay, because the first one definitely showrooms were shut for yeah, a long time. After yeah. no, they were allowed one. to do handovers. Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, it's certainly something that they're looking at. Um, And um, I say the whole buying model in the UK is going through a real change at the moment as well, isn't it, with the Mm. online resellers, um, second-hand The Tesla model, you buy it online and go to a non-distinct warehouse to pick it up. Well, also Polestar are now doing a a rental, so Mm -hmm. not as in a a conventional rental, but as in you literally just pay a certain amount a month and you'll get a car and you can opt in and out on a monthly basis. years ago I had a guy tell me from one of the big motor manufacturers that the way you're going to be having a car in the future is that you will just have a monthly fee to the motor manufacturer and you'll have a convertible in the summer, you'll have a, mm-hmm. um, a people mover when you're travelling around with the family and you'll have a saloon car the rest of the year. And, yeah. and it's, well, it's, it's how all the industries are going, Spotify, Netflix, yeah. everything that is, it's on demand convenience. Monthly fee, monthly yeah. fee as yeah. well, yeah. yeah. Everything on the never, never. I mean, Mercedes actually back in the 90s even had that idea when they tried, at one point Mercedes, I believe, don't sue me if I'm wrong, um, intended to have a couple or three big dealerships in the UK to manage the whole lot. And yeah, they, 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 there was a bit of a backlash from that one. Um, from from the over sixties. <laughs> Speaking as, as a Mercedes owner, though, I'm, I'm opposed to 2010 Mercedes owner when they started to become cool again. Okay, okay. are they cool again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Go with okay. it. It's fine. It depends where they've you they've always it. been cool for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I picked. I do up- love a bit of walnut. <laughs> yeah. Goes well with the Saga magazine. Um, so, uh, what I want to kind of focus on is what does this mean for your independent detailer? So, previously, you've been able to go to a dealership. In fact, you've even been paid by dealerships to do detailing, but you've certainly been competitive against them in the eyes of the, the private individual because you offer a higher quality of work for similar, if not better, money. Uh, whereas now the dealers are bringing it inside. They're using professional detailers. I've seen quite a few professionals actually go for full time employment and they're offered, you know, 25 to 35 grand a year stable income. Yep. which is, you know, if you've got a family and a mortgage and that sort of thing, that becomes more important than the potential of being a millionaire. Yep. Um, and uh, so all of a sudden, you're com- you can't compete necessarily on quality anymore. And in terms of kit, you know, a dealership's got more money or at least better credit line, should we say, um, to buy all the latest kit and a nice studio. You've got 
customers are there already. I think the big win is if you're paying 300 quid a month for your car um, and you say, right, do you want it to be PPF for five grand, one off? They'll say no. But if they say, uh, do you want to pay an extra 30 quid a month? and then you'll have a PPF car or a ceramic coated car or whatever, that's much easier to swallow. And it's all part of your nice, easy monthly payment. And your independent detailer, yes, you've got Klarna, you've got various other payment assist sort of models, yep. but it's never truly on the never-never because otherwise you end up with detailers being sort of credit unions and stuff like that, which they can't be. So um, the question is, how do you think, if you put yourself in the shoes of an independent detailer, how are you going to adapt and change to cope with um, the car dealerships starting to offer decent quality, potentially reasonable value detailing services directly to the customer? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think um, it's the same as any business, though. I think if you've got all your eggs in one dealership, so to speak, I think Mm -hmm. um, I would be very cautious. Um, I think it's about having a spread of business um, going forward and just being aware that any of those dealerships that you're dealing with have the potential to change their model overnight. But it's not just those who are are being paid by the dealerships to do the work. I'm talking about private individuals who go to the dealership, are offered their new car protection, they say no, and then they separately take it to a detailer. Yep. I mean, the new car protection market is, is is a significant chunk of quite a few. As you say, you can spread between, you know, new car protections and restoring and, and you know, older cars and stuff like that. But if the dealerships start being competitive for, for, for the just for the very service of detailing, then it's going to get quite... Yeah, it could, it could get um, difficult out there, but um, I do believe that there is still an element of quality to that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly pr- people with private collections of vehicles uh, are not going to suddenly be swayed by a dealership, in my my view, personally. Yeah. I think somebody's going to be, you know, I, I've heard people say, I, I won't let anybody look after my vehicles other than, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, because that's just the person that's looked after and cared for them. And they built that business up. So I, I don't see any... Uh, anybody losing their position overnight, um, it's difficult to set up and gain that that market in the first place. Um, certainly, um, I know a couple of guys that have gone back into jobs like you're talking about because just because it's that regular monthly payment mm-hmm. um, or regular monthly fit, uh, wage that they're getting um, and it takes them off the pressure of trying to chase around looking for another vehicle on any given day so um, I think it's certainly it's certainly something people need to be aware of mm-hmm. um, I don't see it changing overnight I do um, know there is conversations in dealerships to be trying to capture some of this market so I agree with you totally it's happening um, but whether it's going to um, you know, people need to look at their business model really and just see where their business is coming from and yeah. just be aware. And what they can offer, I suppose, because yeah. ultimately, for example, if you're a mobile detailer and you've got a private collection with a nice big garage, yep. you know, if that that's you're not going to be in danger from that point of view. Probably not think. from that one. Um, but if you've got a guy that's just bought one, a, a brand new car and uses you, potentially, like you say, the dealership could come up with a deal that takes them away from them. Yeah, yeah. there's always a possibility of that, yeah. I mean, adding strings to your bow as well. I mean, we've, we get de- detailers all the time come to us and say, I want to train to do stone chip repair or PDR mm-hmm. um, and we train in PDR uh, train in stone chip repair scuff and scratch in our training centre in Coventry which is set very close to where we do our IMI courses yeah. on the on the detailing side of things so you know so adding more strings to your bow as well makes you more valuable to the customer Have you noticed with um, things like for example CarPro so uh, as an example as a kind of precursor to it G-Technic are now very well entrenched in certain car dealership yep. groups and they're you know they're a premium brand the only other premium brand kind of that's crosses between a retail product a trade product and a dealership product is say autoglim 
So their life shine's been going through dealerships for years and years and years. Um, but with G-Technic hitting the dealerships successfully, um, you now basically control the fate of CarPro in this country. Do you well, think that's Well, yes and no, we do and don't. Um, okay. CarPro Professional um, is uh, not under our banner. Ah. So um, the C-Quartz Professional products fall under um, the banner of... Um, Gordon. Gordon, exactly. Yeah. So we don't have any control over that, and uh, we sell the pro- products associated behind that, if you like. I see what you mean. Well, uh, thinking laterally, Kochimi, of course, bought out their new ceramic product, yep. um, which are now Kochimi in Germany... And over here, as you were saying, in the in the body shop trade and stuff, they're big. But in Germany, they are like Autoglim Plus Plus. They are such a household name, um, and they work with manufacturers. They've got approvals and all the rest of it. Um, I was surprised how long it took them to come out with a ceramic. But what I was also and a really good by, one as well. To be fair, we've yeah. had to play with it, and it's it really yeah. is a nice, easy on our product. Which is, you know, and we've got, I mean, I'm just trying to think the only other kind of trade stuff is, is AutoSmart got into ceramics um, a good couple of years ago now with the Matrix. Um, that was only last year. It was only, yeah, but they must have been developing and got, got done. You, you know, you can't just yeah. wake up and say, I'm going to do a ceramic coating. Hell, remember when we talked to CarChem and they were like, we're, we're developing it about five yeah, they, years they were ago. Tr- they were trying to make it themselves though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with the Cochimi one also was the size of the bottle. Yeah. Because normal ones are 30 mil or 50 mil, whereas a Cochimi one is 75 or 100. It's quite a chunky. It's a, yeah, it's a chunky one. Chunky it's, one. it's close to the, the, the sort of Kujitsu size bottles. Yeah, the, yes. way, the way the motor trade tends to like to work is to literally book something to the uh, to the job. So I don't think the size of the bottle makes that much difference personally. Okay. Um, you know, they'll take a kit out of stock and they'll say that's completely for that. Aston Martin we're doing tomorrow and, and they'll charge it to the job and at the end of the day it's not generally the ceramic that is the cost of the job it's the labour mm-hmm. um, and the, the fact that they're having it done professionally um, so I, I don't see the price or the, the type or the bottling of, of these products as being a major part of okay. what works and what doesn't work Yeah, no, it's interesting, have you seen demand from dealerships for the Koch or, or any of the ceramics that you um, provide? We're having conversations with a couple of the uh, dealerships, but they're having conversations with many people. It'd be, it would be wrong for me to say it's exclusive with us. <laughs> um, but we have some very good body shop business, which is leading us into conversations on the on the valeting and the detailing side as well. Um, I would I would say at this point, there's nothing been said to us about anybody particularly wanting to do something and go down that route mm-hmm. um, or any one route. Um, but there are conversations being had where, again, like you say, they're, they're setting up detailing bays in this, this and this site. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are going to be something we want to do going forward. Um, like you say, G-Technic are very well entrenched in that market. Um, but it will be interesting to see what, what happens going forward, I think. Yeah, and I, I think it's quite careful. It's got, from a branding point of view, it's going to be quite interesting because G-Tech bought out Crystal, I think it's called, which is specifically for, the or Platinum rather. Platinum, yeah. Platinum, yep. um, which is specifically for the dealership. So it's not something you can buy on, in, on the street and there's not a direct comparison. And equally with uh, things like Lifeshine and stuff, again, you can't just go on the website and buy it as an end user. You have to be kind of trade of some description. Mm-hmm. kind of allows them to keep distinct Or in our lines. case on eBay. On our case, on Black Market on eBay. Um, same goes for Supergarden and all the rest, and all other brand supply. Um, but my uh, point being that uh, I wonder if manufacturers like, well, if any other manufacturer is going to embrace the car dealership specifically from, from our side of the fence, from our kind of professional slash enthusiast detailing side of the fence, like G-Technic have. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to speak for those those mm. manufacturers, um, but I think if they if they look at it and look at the amount of cars that a dealership, as in some of the the big ones, and I'm very careful not to name any big dealerships in the UK. Don't worry, we'll flash this up on the screen based yeah, on this. You can. Um, you think of the amount of cars they're selling, then yeah, mm. it's it's only second nature for people to say I want that to have a coating on it. I mean, again, going back to Tesla, which I can mention as a brand. Um, um, we were at a site and they, somebody bought a Tesla and they said, I want that completely repainted before I get it. And I want it in piano finished black and I want it coated. And God. some people with, with lots of money will, will demand lots of different things, you know. And um, that, that car was stripped and repainted before it was even sent to the person, you know, and then coated and, and you know, it was... Well, I mean, I suppose um, SVR, Land Rover, JLR, I've got that new site. They're all very busy and stuff getting, you know, the bespoke side of the business going yeah. up. Bentley have obviously capitalised on it. Rolls-Royce, same. It's all about the kind of bespoke for the super rage. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the going back to the coatings a little bit, the problem that dealers are always going to have using products like ceramic coatings is regardless of how much work they want to put into it, they they are massively time-consuming compared to something something like 1K Nano, mm. the, 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 yeah. the, the polymer product that yeah. uh, that Koch makes, which is fantastic products, 18 months durability, I think that sort of thing, really good uh, gloss from it. It's really easy to apply, and it, it actually it hides quite a lot of scent as well. Um, with a ceramic coating, for a, for a dealership that's pumping out one or two cars a day, that's doable with a decent team for a dealership that's selling, you know, these, these car, car, mm. car, um, car supermarkets, everything like that, that are going through, you know, 25 to 50 cars a day and plus at the weekends. It's mm. just not, a, it's just not possible to apply successfully these ceramic coatings to do all the preparation work, it, it, even it if it's just a, selling. It depends what you're selling. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously not with even without the, the likes of polishing over it. If if you are just doing even a, a wipe down application, you've still got that that holding period afterwards where the car can't leave. Yeah. Whereas someone could come to you in the morning for something like one k uh, buy a car and get something like one k nano put on there, come back later in the day and it's ready to pick up. Yeah, these uh, second hand car sales sites, super supermarkets, if you mm-hmm. like. Um, we deal with one that sells upwards of eight hundred cars a week, or it can do. Yeah. Um, and part of the the sale would be the upsell, your stereo, mm-hmm. your, you know, your, your finance, uh, your insurance, and and your coatings, um, and it depends what they're selling. If they if they're calling it a ceramic coating, that that might be something else. But if they're saying we have a coating, we have mm-hmm. you know, and and it depends what they're selling. As I say, um, we know of most of them would be providing that as a an upsell, and they would have a, a department where that that was upsold and, and worked on and coated. Um, I'm not saying they're products that we're selling them. I know some of the, the, the ones that we deal with are doing that mm-hmm. and they're not putting on products that we sell. They're putting on much simpler products, uh, yeah. if you like. That's a diplomatic. That's a diplomatic yeah. Um, and I don't know what they're calling them when they're selling them. <laughs> um, but, I mean, again, likewise, it's, it's the perception of what the person who drives off. Uh, yeah. We've had people literally run it into a wall and say that... Pre- 
didn't, didn't do anything. Well, yeah, it's not going to stop a brick wall. I need to do loads of layers for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, again, maybe we look east rather than west and, and look at Japan. 80% of new cars sold in Japan are sold effectively with coatings. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm not well informed enough to know at what point those coatings are put on, but I think there they have much bigger detailers, so independent, but they're almost like body shops. They could have 50 cars in at once. Um, and that, is how they do it there. So it's not done by dealership, but it's, it's done by... Line. It is yeah. just just that. Yeah. Um, I suppose a lot of the cars there are JDM anyway. So probably if you did a, a, a an initial delivery check, pre-delivery check on those cars, they're probably going to be in better state than they are by the time they've got all the way over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so they probably, don't undersale either, do they? Huh? They don't underseal either, do they? No, because they don't put salt... Well, they do, but not to the same extent because there's no salt on the roads there. So they don't feel the need to. But I always thought it was kind of surrounded by water. Yeah, there's a lot of salt water around Japan. I was going to say, hell, they've not got salt on the road. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I don't know. I mean, because also in the north of Japan, it gets pretty cold and snowy. I saw James May going around there and he was in a coat. They have yeah. mountains and everything. Yeah, brilliant. I really want to go to Japan. We both really want to go to Japan. Yes. Yeah. It's up there on mine as well. It's on oh. my bucket list. We're just trying to find, we, we obviously work a lot with Soft 99, which is great. We could go over there, work with, we've got some magazines. We sell hundreds of magazines to then Japan. we need to go. Um, yeah, we really want to go. Well, we need to go. We you want can to justify go. it as a business trip. Uh, not sure, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we, we, we go in those containers that you're taking so long to get there. Maybe we yeah. hide in them on the way back because I can't imagine the Japanese are buying much from here anymore. Just got to hope there's not a customs check. <laughs> 16 weeks later. <laughs> Just pretend to be a model. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, that, yeah, no, we need to we go down a different avenue now. Uh, what I would like to do is ask you some quick fire questions. Okay. Now, normally we ask the, uh, most of our guests are detailers. Yep. And so these are very much tailored to that. But I think all the ones we've got here will apply. Okay. And if anything, we get a nice variation in answers. Okay. So I'll take it from the top. What is your current car? A Tesla Model S. And it's bizarre because you got a bit lost coming out here in the sticks. And I got, I called <laughs> well, you up. Actually, it found you perfectly. I yeah. just didn't know which house you were in. Yeah, it was, it's, it was odd. And I looked out the window and I saw this white Tesla. I thought, nobody in this place has no Teslas like that. This must be one of them city folk from the smoke. Um and um, so we've got a Tesla Model S, and it's it looked like the dual motor. It is, it is, yeah. It's a long range one. Yeah, I am. Um, it's a very much a company policy. Sorry, touch that. Um, That's the mandolin much, going on. Yeah, yeah. A company policy. Um, to have nice cars. No, go electric. <laughs> Directors are very much we're looking at it at the moment as a um, as a we're we're going towards carbon neutral. That's the that's the aim. Yeah. So have interest. You going that way with the delivery vans? Yes, we're looking at that way. We do a lot of business with Stellantis, um, yeah. as in. Uh, Citroen Persia. Um, and um, over the years, we've done a lot of, um, I say, a lot of business with them. And um, They bought out an electric one with all the gubbins from the E208 or something, haven't they? Yeah, it's finding one that will do the range because um, yeah. you don't want to be stopping halfway through your delivery round and charging. So, um, well, not round you, no. <laughs> no. Um, so we've got, we're about 15, just approaching 15% of our f- fleet now is electric or hybrid. Wow. So we're getting, getting that. That's cool. Well, even I drive a hybrid. So, you know. Okay. Well, it's got a hybrid sticker on the back and it burns almost as much oil as it does petrol. You so. have to have a very large battery for it. So that's, it does, that's basically it does, it is a huge thing. battery. Oh, it is a massive battery. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, generally it is environmentally conscious because I've got a 4.2 V8 and a 3.7 V8 and I drive the 3.7 that's most of the time. That's excellent of you. Yeah, no, I'm pretty decent. I'm, I'm expecting an award from Greenpeace. <laughs> and I see a penguin, I want a thank you. Well, we had the environment protests as uh, our junction of the M25 yesterday. So. Ah. Yeah, I saw some of those videos. It was getting they quite... Just, they just waved me through. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course they do. No, they didn't. No. Oh, <laughs> I got No, because they just want people to insulate their lofts. It's not like a real environmental protest. They're just being irritating. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't want to comment on things because I don't, you know, want a dead rabbit through my letterbox. Actually, they probably wouldn't I'd do that. I'd love that. Dinner. Well, yeah, it's on, I'd have to check the level of killing animals rigor. on your behalf. No, they probably wouldn't, would they? No, no it would probably be something fetal. Mm. Um, so, yes, no, I don't want to upset the environmentalists' delicates. Um, so, um, the second quickfire question in this quickfire round uh, <laughs> is, uh, first, uh, <laughs> bizarrely, it says, first car pro detailed. And at first, that is first car pro detailed. And I'm like, this isn't making any sense. So, first car that you touch, because obviously you're not... A Pro detailer, you've got no, more, absolutely you know. not, and I wouldn't regard myself as a, 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 an absolute mad detailer either. Um, I like looking after. There's only one type. No, there's <laughs> only one type, the mad type. I I had a um, Mercedes E uh, convertible, Model E convertible. Okay. I did look after that a lot better because that came between two Navara pickups and before two more pickups. So the pickups I always felt should be dirty. Well, Whereas, yeah, because then people don't notice it. It's a big tax exactly. dodge. Uh, that, well, that's why I had pickups. Yeah, bik.com. Um, so I had the, um, it was a bit of a midlife crisis and um, it was in brown with a beige roof, which I got absolutely remorselessly I quite like from. that. At least, unlike the Navara, it doesn't snap in the middle. And a convertible is technically a pickup. In a way, you'll pick something up. Yeah. I mean, probably later middle age. Had a lovely but, you know. red tinge to the brown, and um, I did look after that. I have to say, and that that was right at the sort of start of Slims as well. So, oh, I was so a recent a lot one at that point. Yeah, I see, in my head, I had the proper E class from the nineties. I don't know what the chassis number is because you know got a life in that. But the um, the big E class convertibles. What were they called? Oh, the CLK. No, 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 no. Before that, the ones based on the saloon car, not not the oh, okay. hairdressers' cars. Um, anyway, <laughs> quick fire questions. Quick, quick fire, fire questions. There we go. Dream car, favorite car that you'd want. Money, no object. Porsche nine eleven. Always hankered after a Porsche nine eleven. Okay, I'm well, an eighties child. You can't answer that without being more specific. Which generation of Porsche? Nineteen eighties. Okay. Nine thirty. Does it need to be a turbo? Turbo with the big flared arches. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, boom. Like, yeah. Nine, I'm thinking nineteen eighties. You were going 993? No, I, I, was, I was assuming 993. No, I'm going 930. I think you want a 930. Do you want the flat nose or do you want the, like, the conventional? I want the big buggy eyes. Okay, yeah, yeah. so a 964, 964 generation. So they're all 911s to me. Yeah. <laughs> so what wide arches, big buggy eyes, that's a 993 to me. Big flat. No, 993 is late 80s. Yeah. Big rubbery fin on the back. Okay, well, it, it's slightly a matter of, because um, the, the previous one. The one in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, you go and get your internet. But the 80s, Have you ever seen Bad Boys? Yes. yes. That's a 993, I think. No. It's not. No. Oh, not that's a 964. No, no, you've got the 930, no, no. then you've got the 964, then you've got the 993. I like the 993 because it's delicate and effeminate. But if you want the big arches, the one that killed stockbrokers, and, you know, we've got a lot to owe for it. That's, that's, um, yeah. then that's that, a 993. No. One back from that. One yeah. back from that, okay, which I yeah, think yeah, is yeah. Google 964, 964 which is made yeah. complicated because there was another Porsche called something a 968, which was a separate model altogether, yeah. which was a V8. Which is what Clarkson went round and upset the whole of South America in. Yeah, right, okay. Or was I, that a nine two eight? No, that was a nine two eight. Nine six eight was, was a four cylinder. That was the two eight with the rubber back. Yeah, and the nine. That's the baby. Six four. Okay, nine six four. Yeah. So what you're saying is, I was right. Um, yeah, and I really agree. So between eighty nine and ninety four. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about a nine nine three? Just get on with the quick <laughs> questions. Therefore, <laughs> <laughs> okay, slow well, fire round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, where are we up to? We're up to. Uh, this is probably an irrelevant question, but DA or rotary? Uh, DA, safer. <laughs> Uh, although yeah. I've probably used more rotaries than DAs. Oh. Oh. Um, how many buckets do you like to do it with? Uh, three. And washing cars? 
hand. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Ceramic or wax? Uh, wax. Yep. Uh, Ferrari or Porsche? We kind of know the yeah, answer to this I'm question. Yeah, i have to say the Porsche. Um, to be fair, there, there's no wrong answer, but the next one, Subaru or Mitsubishi? Um, well, I believe there's a Subaru on the drive outside, there so I really love Subarus. There we go. <laughs> I'm not going to set the staffing on them. Um, flex or repairs? I can't answer that because we sell both. Oh, oh, give me a wink. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> Dream I car think to do with the polishers. <laughs> no, it's just generally. Just, just getting all He's feeling now. a little bit down. <laughs> just, just for my self-esteem. Um, your dream car to detail? Uh, probably the Porsche 911. I just think the curves are amazing. Oh, really you like see, that. we discussed this a little earlier, and I came up with what I thought was a fun joke, which was a Ford KA because it's small and quick to detail. And, and they, I, I appreciated I gave, that, but I gave the 911 is not massive, is it? Uh, well, the new one is. Have yeah. you seen how wide the new one is? It's ridiculous. Yeah, not, not, not new. I'm, I'm old. Old, yeah. <laughs> we all are. Um, so the, the decon question doesn't apply, but the Sunday drive or Sunday detail is, is a relevant question and one that I suspect I know the answer. I'd take the drive. Yeah. yeah. Everyone we've asked that so far has taken the drive. That's what you've got to come up with. 3 was 94 to 98. Yeah, so not God. that 80s. Yeah. <sighs> I do like a 993. You, you're a fan of the 996, though, aren't you? Yes. Uh, is that just because they're cheap? Or, they're not cheap. Well, relatively. They were the bargain of the 911. They used to be, but not anymore. Not anymore. People have... They've, they, they appear to have got older, much like myself. I think all of these things are going up at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. It's time to buy one. Well, you say that, but Porsches shot up. At the, going back to the kind of classic car they shot up in the last recession because it was a safe place to put the money, and then suddenly there were these really high-value ones, and about two years ago, an awful lot of auctions happened and not very many cars sold. But mm. uh, We will see. Anyway, we're coming to the end okay. of our time here. So thank you very much, Andrew, for venturing all the way out here. And um, it has been enjoyable and insightful in equal measure. So. Okay, thank you very much. It's not been too painful, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what you were saying. The experience was like. Didn't hurt that much. Yeah. Cool. Well, we will be back on your screens fairly soon. So uh, do keep your audio screens. Your audio screens. Well, we're also filming this, but audio screens. And um, we will look forward to uh, producing something else soon with a new person. Thank you.